Welcome to everybody tonight. If you're watching us online, joining us online, we welcome you as a part of this service as well. And as I've already said, we'd like to say again, it's good to have Brother Dylan in service with us tonight. Praise God. Amen. If you're not standing and you're able to do so, if you would, I... I assume that with the weather situation, we probably have some folks out tonight. We had this conversation on the trip in Jamaica with some other pastors. Every church has those that if the doors are open, they're going to be there. And every church has those that if there's the slightest excuse not to be there, they won't be there. And in all honesty, I I don't know, I can't speak for Bishop. This is me and the way I do it now. I cancel church. If I'm canceling church, it's for all you stubborn people. The stubborn ones that if you know there's church, you pretty much aren't going to care what the conditions are. It was kind of funny a couple of weeks ago when we had the little hail storm. We, We had a significant percentage of Baltimore folks in service. We had a bunch of folks from Arnold and Annapolis area that apparently the weather was just too too rough for them. I like having a church that scattered. Take some of the excuses away. But anyway, Bishop was going to be teaching second session tonight, and since I figured we'd have some missing, I thought it would be better to just have service and let him have a little more time and speak to all of us since these last couple of weeks and even a couple of weeks coming his schedule is such that he's not able to be around a whole lot in services and so we want him to come tonight and share with us whatever the Lord wants to say to us praise God thank you God bless you this is, uh, I'm happy about this. My mama, mother to you, is home taking care of uh, Joel and Kate's children because the family requested uh, that they come to uh, the hospital to be with them and their daughter after hearing that news today. And so... We all felt like that was a good thing. They need to be there. So, um, and I can promise you, she's not watching online. She's refereeing something. I promise you. <laughs> Praise God! It is good to have Brother Dylan with us. Such a good friend and brother in the gospel, and <laughs> such a significant contributor to this church already in the brief amount of time that he has been officially connected here as a trustee. I'm not going to spend very much time tonight talking about the meeting we had this week because I have a a very specific message tonight. And uh, I'll, I'll have the opportunity at some point in the future to tell you how significant what God has started this week is 
to the body of Christ, but I'm not, I, I don't want to take the time to do that. Okay? Uh, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I, I know who, I can't see who's on the computer, and that's okay, because then you and I, at least, you're anonymous to me, and, and I, so it's nothing personal, but I hope you got fast fingers. Because we're going to cover some ground tonight. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and I'm, I didn't purposely, I'm not going to the scriptures so that I can uh, wait on him and read, or him or her, whoever it is, and read on the screen. Uh, and that that's really a beautiful background, but the contrast between that light background and white letters is very difficult for an old man to read. Praise God. Old. I said old. I'm now counting days to 70, not weeks, months, years to 70. So, praise God. And really, I play that little card so you will take me for granted. Because that gives me an advantage when you take me for granted. It's like this southern accent has done here in Maryland for years. Because our good, you good northern folks think somebody with an accent like this is afflicted and are not too smart. And it used, used to, used to, used to, uh, I would get offended at that, but then I realized what a tremendous advantage it gave me. Because if you think I'm not too smart, I got one up on you from the beginning. Praise God. So enough of that. First Peter chapter 5. I'm going to try to read that. I may have to turn my back on you to see. <clears throat> so I think I will. Likewise, I can read it here. I can't read it back there. It's, in fact, the background's even lighter back there than it is up here. Has anybody got a gun? I'll shoot that projector. All right. <laughs> Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, and forgive me for having my back to you, but it goes with the territory. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Next verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Next verse. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Why? Do you want to live that and practice that? Why? What's the purpose? Next verse. Be sober. That doesn't mean don't drink. Because that goes without saying. Be sober. That means to think thoughts that are not under the influence of something or someone other than you and God. Be sober. It has to do with your thinking, not whether or not you're inebriated because you're, 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 uh, you're intaking spirits. And alcohol is spirits. That's what they call it. Spirits. And if I have to convince you not to, th- to drink, because you're taking in spirits, it's a waste of my time. Because you know why people take in spirits? 
Because they don't have the spirit, even if they claim to have the spirit. Just, just, it's just me. Just me. Sorry. I can't be anybody but me and whatever the Holy Ghost does. So anyway, uh, no, no, verse eight. Yeah. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, colon, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You may be seated. God bless you. And uh, let's look at that in a couple of different translations. How about the Amplified? And if you've got that on the screen, fine, but you won't keep up with me, so do your best. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. This is verse 8. Oh, you're there. Great job. Okay. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams about like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Withstand him. Be firm in faith against his onset, rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christians throughout the world. So this isn't unusual. This is normal. What I mean normal is, It is a fact of spiritual life. One more just for balance here. Your favorite and the one you like to laugh at, the easy-to-read version. You can laugh. It's okay. It sounds funny, doesn't it? Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Control yourselves and be careful. The devil is your enemy, and he goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to attack. And eat. Refuse to follow the devil. Stand strong in your faith. You know that your brothers and sisters all over the world are having the same sufferings that you have. I don't follow the devil. You can hear I can hear it. See, I don't follow the devil. What do you mean, follow the devil? Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, there's people sitting here right now. Holy Ghost filled people that follow the devil. Or you don't know you follow the devil, but you do. Why? Because the mind is the battleground of the soul. And if you lose the battle in your mind, If you lose the battle between right thoughts and wrong thoughts, you lose the war. So you are following Satan by following thoughts that have put in your mind that you have not discerned and identified the source of them. Oh, no, I don't. Really? So there's nobody here battling fear tonight. There's nobody here that struggles with worry. There's nobody here that has anxiety. There's nobody here 
that has convinced yourself you have a medical problem, so that's why you take something to help you go to sleep at night. Nobody here like that. And so you want to say you don't have a problem. Boy, that got you quiet, didn't it? I'm trying to help. I I don't know what you perceive as my motive or my spirit behind what I'm saying. I'm trying to help you. I'm not upset with anybody. i got no reason to be upset with anybody. I'm trying to help you. Because some of you precious people are so bound and oppressed, and you don't know why. And you've begun to blame that on the preacher, on the church, on the way things are going. Let me tell you something. If your personal victory is so fragile that it's up to the preacher, up to the current climate of the church, up to what's going on you don't understand or you don't like, you're admitting how bad off you are. Because you're listening to the wrong thoughts in your head. Do you honestly think the devil's going to say, listen up, listen up, this is the devil. What I'm about to tell you, I want you to believe. Hear ye, hear ye, the devil. I, the devil, is about. I am about to speak to you. This is me talking. He wants to imitate one of two voices. If you really want to listen to the voice of God, then he wants to imitate that. But most of us don't want to really do that because we're afraid what he'll tell us we won't like. So he wants to imitate your own thoughts. He wants you to take ownership of the stuff he puts in your head that sounds like your own thoughts. Because once you take ownership of it, all he has to do is sit back and fold his arm and watch you self-destruct. Because... You have listened to the wrong thoughts. And give me, guess what? The thoughts he puts in your head will make so much sense. Pat yourself on the back. Boy, I got this figured out right. I see this just the way it is. I see, nobody else sees it as clear as I do. I see. And the result of that is this. Ready? 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24. 2 Timothy 2 24. Forgive my back. Oh, I think I can read. Who got rid of the dark background? God bless you. Amen. And this, I mean the light background. And the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Next verse. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God will give unto the, give them, if God peradventure will give them repentance 
to the acknowledging of the truth, next verse, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. He is not talking about sinners. He is talking about the spiritual condition of supposedly saved people. Let's do the Amplified of of verse 24. Ooh, I'm feeling something right now. Praise God. 2 Timothy 2.24 Amplified, please. Come on now. And the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting and contending. Instead, he must be kind, kind be kindly to everyone and mild tempered. That ruled me out, didn't it? Not re- that's what you think. Pre- <laughs> preserving the bond of peace. He must be a skilled and suitable teacher. Well, that kind of balances a little bit, doesn't it? Patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. Next verse. He must correct his opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and come to know the truth, that they will perceive and recognize and become accurately acquainted with and acknowledge it. Next verse. That they may come to their senses and escape out of the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, henceforth to do, henceforth to do his or God's will to recover there. Whatever other translation you have, uh, if you have Weiss, give me Weiss. If you got, what, what else do we have? You know? Try the new, give give me something else. I want to read something else from the verse 24, whatever you got up there. What is that one? The Message Bible. You see that word Bible? It's a good translation as long as you take the word Bible off of it. Because it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Okay? So if you understand this is not the Bible... It is one man's opinion of what the translation supposedly says. Says It's a paraphrase. It's good stuff. God's servant must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps cool. Well, let's, somebody needs to turn that fan on because it's a little warm up here right now. <laughs> Working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey, who never know how, and when God might sober them up with a change of heart and a turning to the truth. Enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive and forced to run his errands. Go back to the King James verse 25, please. No, notice the way the King James put it, and I find that the Greek actually is pretty, it's a little bit closer to this. When it says, instructing those that oppose 
themselves. You, you know what? Some of you have never figured out that you're not opposing the preacher. and You're not opposing what's being taught that you don't like. That you are hearing thoughts and believing them and maybe even repeating them that puts you in opposition to yourself, to your own salvation, and bring you into captivity. Because when you're taking ownership of the thoughts that are coming through your head that are not of God, that are not true, that do not measure up to the test of the word of God, then believing those thoughts brings you into captivity. How does the next verse read, please? That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, this Greek word recover here, It means to come out of a state of drunkenness where you are intoxicated and deceived by false thinking to where you come to a place of right thinking which then enables you to make the changes in your life by the grace of God that he wants you to make. You will never change what you don't agree needs to be changed. Because why would you let God help you to change something that you don't believe that needs to be changed? And if you have believed the lie that this is okay and and I don't have to do that and this is not important, then you've believed the lie. You that Biblically, you are drunk. What does it mean to be intoxicated? Under the influence of spirits. A person that drinks alcohol and is drunk is considered under the influence of spirits. The stuff in a bottle. So therefore, the scripture, the Holy Ghost, takes that natural example, brings it into the spiritual, and says that a person who's not thinking biblical thoughts... They're not thinking right thoughts have come under the influence of spirits. It's not a question of your opinion's just as good as my opinion. Because if both of our opinions are formed based on what we think is right and wrong, you're absolutely right. But if one person's opinion is 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 truly grounded in the word of God. And the other person's opinion is grounded in their own lust and how they want to live and they don't want anybody telling them what to do. Then one opinion is not equal to the other. Because the one whose opinion is based on the word of God doesn't have an opinion at all. They've accepted God's thoughts on the subject. Because Proverbs 23 and 7, you can put it up there while I quote it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if the devil can get you thinking wrong thoughts, you will act like that. That's who you are. That's what you are. And if they're his thoughts that he has managed you to believe that are really your thoughts, 
and you take ownership of them, when you take ownership of the devil's thoughts, you are now his captive. How do we have faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith and fear are exact opposites. What fear is to God, excuse me, what faith is to God, fear is to, is to the devil. Fear is because you have believed what the devil says to you. You want to discern really easily who's the originator of the thought? Does the thought produce faith and confidence in you? Or does the thought produce fear and spiritual paralysis in you? That's how you discern who's the originator of the thought. Look at the fruit of the thought. Look at the fruit of the thought. Genesis 1, 1, uh, Genesis 3, 1, excuse me. We're going to read pretty quickly here in the beginning, so be ready to stay up with me. Thank you. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, everybody has heard somebody preach the fact that she obviously didn't know what God said. He didn't say anything about touching it. He said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Period. End of story. Didn't say any more than that. But she added to the word, which let the devil know she didn't know what she was talking about. When you communicate to the devil that you don't know what the word of God says, that's like saying sick him to the dog. I may not tell this right if you've heard the story before. It's like the burglar that broke into a house and there was a parrot in the basement. And there was a pit bull in the basement. And what he was after was in the basement. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but the parrot kept saying, you know, something like, Polly want a cracker. Polly want a cracker. Polly want a cracker. And finally, he, the, the, the burglar was so irritated, he turned to that bird and said, you stupid bird, is that all you can say? And the bird said, sick him. Praise God. When you demonstrate to the adversary that you don't know what the word of God said, that's like that parrot saying to the pit bull, sick him. You're saying to the adversary, 
I have no means whereby to test what I'm, what's going through my brain and no means whereby I can defend myself against what you're saying to me. Sicking. And that's exactly what Eve said to the adversary. Oh, wait, that's not her name here. She wasn't named Eve till after she sinned. The name Eve was not given to the woman who hadn't sinned. It was given to the woman after she sinned. Look it up. So the name Eve is directly connected to the sin. But she says, we're not supposed to eat it or touch it lest you die. Next verse. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Now wait a minute. If you know the word of God, such a blatant challenge of God, you're going to go, you expect me to believe that? God said we'd die. No, no, no. He said, you shall not surely die. But he didn't stop there. He was on a roll. Next verse. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and it's not an apple, because if it really was an apple, I'd have to get rid of my iPad, my iPhone, and both my Mac computers. Because the Apple logo has a bite out of it. But since it wasn't an apple, I'm hanging on to them. That's your problem. <laughs> when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be, be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband, her husband. He wasn't just, he wasn't, she wasn't just shacking up with him. <clears throat> and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. Of course, here's the thing, brethren. Brethren, I love my wife. I don't think I have to defend that. Anybody knows me, they know I love my wife. And I do everything that I can that's not displeasing to God to make her happy. That's my number one goal in life that's not directly spiritual. Absolutely, 100%. But Adam was cursed because he hearkened unto the voice of his wife. That's in there. You can read it for yourself. It's in that chapter. Brethren, be careful when God uses your mate to test if you will put him first. Be careful who you're listening to. Because uh, my wife is a wonderful person and the truest Christian I know, and that's absolutely the gospel truth from my perspective. And it used to bug me no end when I knew I'd heard from God and I'd share with her what God said, and she would disagree with it. And I, Lord, this doesn't make sense. This is a spiritual woman. How can she, how, why can't she see that? And finally one day, the Lord showed me, 
She can't see it because I won't let her see it until it's time. Because I don't want her to see it to test to see if you're going to please her or follow me. How many, how many times has God tested a man to see if he's truly going to be the head of his house? I didn't say the tyrant of his house. I don't say the dictator of his house, but the head of his house. Because brother, God isn't going to hold her accountable for the decisions made that affect your household and your home. He's going to hold you accountable. And you can't blame it on her. He tried. God didn't buy it. What'd you do, woman? Uh, well, the, the, uh, the, the serpent. <laughs> What'd you do, man? Oh, uh, it's my wife. You gave me. Yeah, really. That great blessing of a wife from God. Wonderful blessing. Thank God for the blessing of a wife. Thank God. He that findeth wife findeth a good thing, obtain the favor of the Lord, and I got a lot of favor. But God takes my greatest vulnerability, my love for my wife, and my desire to please her and to make her happy, and uses that periodically to test me to see if I'm going to put him first. And when I pass the test, all of a sudden, seemingly out of the clear blue, it all makes sense to her and everything is fine. It's happened time after time after time. And gave also under her husband with her, and he did eat. He also proved he didn't trust God. Because if he'd have put the woman, God ahead of the woman, if God couldn't restore the woman, God would have given him another woman. But he chose the woman over God. A lot of people choose the gift of God over the God that gives the gift. A lot of people choose the gift of God over the giver of the gift. You just became an idolater. When you put the gift ahead of the giver, that's idolatry. Just a little sidelight there, thought I'd throw in. Next verse. And the eyes of both of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked because Genesis 2.25 says they were naked, but they were not ashamed. They knew that they were naked and they sewed them and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Oh God, you city folks, and I am one, but my, both my grandfathers were farmers and my dad's dad had a fig tree right outside the back door of his house. And I remember going there as a kid. And the reason I didn't like figs was the price you paid to try to get to them. Because fig leaves are scratchy. And they will, they will irritate your skin. And Adam and Eve, because they were ashamed and trying to cover their nakedness, they made aprons. I won't go into that. Let's just put it this way. Aprons don't cover the back. 
They made aprons to cover themselves out of fig leaves. Out of fig leaves. Now, The Israelites, when they were trying to show mourning and humility, they would put on sackcloth and ashes. I don't know exactly what sackcloth was made out of, but I always envisioned burlap. I can't imagine wearing a shirt made out of burlap. If you wasn't humble before you put that on, you're going to find out how to be humble real quick so you can take it off. Because burlap is miserable. I have an allergy to wool. I cannot wear wool next to my skin. And so when I went to the Naval Academy, for the first time in my life, I had to wear wool uniform pants. And the soft Navy we have today, they wear polyester. But I had to wear wool. In the, from late fall to spring, or to spring, I had to wear wool every day. And so I, I had to wear cut off pajama bottoms, uh, cotton underneath my pants because I'd break out in whelps. And then when it was time to go to a parade, you had to wear leggings and you had to wrap that wool around your, your, your calf and put those white leggings on. And by the time the parade was over and I got back to the room and I could take those leggings off and get that wool away from my skin below my knee, they were all broken out in whelps. And so I've got a little bit of experience with something that's not comfortable against your skin. If you can wear wool, God bless you. I can't. I can't. Sackcloth. Adam and Eve made coat, made aprons out of fig leaves. That's enough. Next verse. If you hadn't got the message by now, I can't get you the message. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam said, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. God's everywhere. He can see everywhere, and they're hiding. Yeah, yeah. That's how smart humans are. And let me counteract that lie right here. Who hid from whom? Oh, when you sin, God hides from you. That's You're talking about eternity, not here now. The only way any of us are, are saved and can stay saved is God comes looking for us because sinners don't go looking for God. God comes looking for us. And they hid themselves from the rest of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Next verse. And the Lord called unto Adam. If this wasn't so serious, this would be hilarious. And said unto him, where art thou? And Adam is so messed up, he said, what do you mean where I am? You know right where I am, you're God. No, but Adam has a conversation with God, shows you how messed up he is. Where art thou? Next verse. 
And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself with my apron of fig leaves on. Oh God. Oh, help us, Jesus. Next verse. And God said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Let's see. Was it God? No. Did Adam tell Eve and Eve tell Adam? No. We only find one other being listed at, at this point that talked in the garden. Who was that? The serpent. So if God didn't tell them they were naked and they didn't tell each other they were naked, then who told them they were naked? The same one that convinced her how awesome it would be to eat this fruit, immediately turns around and tells them how bad they've blown it. And God's about to show up, and you better hide because he said you're going to die. Isn't it amazing that the verse he quotes at us after we sin is different than the way he perverted it before we sinned? Before we sin, he says, it's no big deal. That's no big deal. You shall not surely die. God just trying to protect his turf. He knows when you eat of this fruit, your eyes going to be open and you're going to do no good and evil and you're going to be like God. But when you sin, he's able to quote scriptures accurately then. You're about to die. Adam and Eve believed that God had shown up to take their life. So they hid. And so God tells us by telling, by asking Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? Who's telling you that you're struggling and I can barely make it? Who's telling you that? Oh, that's my thoughts. Who's telling you? Well, I just don't like the way it's going around here. I'm not sure this is God. Who's telling you that? It's not God. He's the one that ordered all this. I love him with all my heart. He's my firstborn son that lived. <laughs> Some of you don't know. Some of you know we lost a child that was five months long, a couple of years before him. He's my firstborn son. I love him. If he was in danger, I'd give my life for him. But I want to tell you something right now. I'm not choosing him over Jesus. I'm not choosing him over the word of God. Not happening. It's not happening. I'm not choosing my wife over the word of God. You may think this is just verbiage. Ask her if it is or not. I told her from the beginning, Alice, it's the will of God for us to be married, and I love you. But the day you put me in a position 
where I have to choose between you and God, and you give me an ultimatum, it's me or God. You're not going to like the outcome of that because I made that decision before I met you. And I haven't changed my mind. First choice is Jesus. The first choice was Jesus. The first choice is always going to be Jesus. Period. Well, I don't agree with that. Too bad. I'm going to heaven. Where are you going? I'm going to heaven. Aren't you afraid of hurting somebody's feeling? Yeah, I really am. I am, I am very concerned about hurting somebody's feeling. And since I'm either going to hurt God's feeling or my wife's feeling, guess who I choose? It's his feelings I'm not going to hurt. Uh, God doesn't have feelings like that. Really? Why did David say against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? When he committed adultery and then had the woman's kill, husband killed to cover his adultery. And then the baby was, that was born of the union. God took the child's life. The woman was sinned against, her husband was sinned against, and the baby who died was sinned against. And David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And God said, no, 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 that's not true. You sinned against the woman, her husband, and the baby. No, no, God never argued with that. He counted that a genuine revelation of repentance. That was a genuine revelation of repentance. Because my actions may offend you. But sin is a personal offense against the God who hung on a cross and died in my place. It's personal. You can't say that, well, God's God and nothing hurts his feelings. Really? When he said, my people have forgotten me days without number? Does that sound like a God with no feelings? My people have forgotten me days without number. Is it that nice? Aren't we having a great time? Right? Is that really God's feelings? No, it's not. It's not. And you say, well, I'm not doing any of that. I know you believe that. But the Holy Ghost gave this to me. I have never taught this lesson like this. In all of my 69 years, not this lesson, ever, he gave this to me for this service tonight, and he made sure you were here. It was so strong that I thought really what I was going to do was take the pulpit and start calling people out and laying hands on their heads. But then when I checked another couple of times, I realized that the word would cover a lot more basis than me praying for a few individuals, even if I prayed for as many as I could before I collapsed tonight. Why? Because I'm talking to precious people that really do want to love God. And you don't know why you're struggling. You really don't. You don't know why you're struggling. Because you cannot discern good from evil. Okay. Hebrew, this is in my notes. Maybe I should write that down while he's going there. Hebrews, I think I will. 
Hebrews 5.14, please. I mean, I've I, I got a feeling I'm going to get to use these again sometime. All right. I'm reading quick. Be strong. Uh, what? I say 14. Let's go to 12. I think it is. Sorry. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have one that need teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So if you're fussing about this tonight, uh, we have a room back here we can change your diaper in. Because this isn't for people that are wearing spiritual diapers. I'm not being unkind. This is Thursday night. This isn't Sunday morning with a crowd. This isn't Sunday night with the hungry people that, you know, that they're going to give a little bit more. This is the night for the committed, for those that are involved or want to be involved. This is for people who want something more than formula. I didn't say that other kind of milk. Formula. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a... I'm glad he didn't say for she is a babe, because some of you would misinterpret it. For he's a babe. Next verse. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, mature, spiritually mature people. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Beloved ones. Some of you, you've allowed your spiritual growth to get stunted and you don't have your senses exercised. And so therefore you do not discern the source of the thoughts that go through your mind. And you are passively letting thoughts buzz through your brain. Brother Dylan and I were talking before dinner this evening and our church this evening and we were talking about a certain individual and some problems he had and and I I, I said you know he, he we were talking about his problems trying to understand and hopefully be able to help somebody else we come across that and I said yeah there was a time several years ago I picked this man up at the airport my wife and I did and we got to the church and we got to church this is before the building collapsed and my wife got out of the car. She headed toward the building, and, and this man and I was younger than, older than my son, but younger than me, was walking by me with my wife about 10, 15 feet in front of us. And uh, he said, Sister Wright, you are fine to walk behind. He has no idea. How blessed of God he was that she brushed that off. Because I almost didn't have enough Holy Ghost. I really came close. I can't tell you how much flesh rose up and said, You must be an idiot. Because... What bird flies through your head, I understand we don't have control over that. 
But for it to stick there long enough, you're stupid enough to say that out loud? Your discernment is working really well. But, but there's two ways to look at that. If he'd have said that to her without me around, she would have come and told me what he said. And then there wouldn't have been enough Holy Ghost. But because he was stupid, that wasn't brass, that wasn't even funny. I didn't laugh. She didn't either, but she just ignored it. But he was stupid enough to say that to me or in my presence. <sighs> ah, praise God. I could just see the headlines now. No, I don't want to see those headlines. Those would not have been good headlines. No, 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 no. And the old adage is, you have, you and I have no control over what birds fly over our head. We get in trouble when we let the bird build a nest in our hair. We've all been in line in the bank and the stupid thought go through your mind, you know, you could rob this bank if you did this and this. And you know what 99.9999999% of us do? We go, that is ridiculous. And you just go into something, you don't even entertain it. But we don't do that with a lot of stuff that comes through our brains. It comes flying along. We go, wow, what a beautiful bird. Whoa, hey, look at this bird. And we let that bird find a home in our brain. And the next thing you know, we're thinking about stuff. If you don't believe for one minute that God, for your benefit, has allowed the adversary access to put stuff in your brain that you have to choose to just let travel on through or you choose to let stick around. A man doesn't sin, a person doesn't sin till they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. The thought going through my head, there's no sin in it, there's no condemnation in it. There's nothing to apologize for. Nothing. The thought in my head, going through my head, no big deal. It's no big deal. I don't care how horrible the thought is. There is no accountability for a thought going coming into my mind, and I just let it go right on through. It's when I say, wait just a minute here. Let's think about that just a little bit here. That thought becomes a desire, a lust, a desire. And then when I begin to meditate on that desire, the next thing that comes with the thought is a feeling. And that thought, that feeling produced by that thought causes me to begin to dwell on this. And I begin to be drawn away. And now I'm enticed and I begin to think about how, how can I get away with making this happen?
how can I do that? And when sin's conceived, when lust is conceived, what is lust conceiving? When it goes beyond thought and it's now a decision even unacted on, lust is conceived. Now I'm beginning to have a plan. I may tell myself I will never act on this plan. But right now, I'm entertaining the plan. And you might not fulfill this plan, or the next plan, or the next plan, or the next plan. But if he puts enough thoughts there, you entertain those thoughts, they, be- they, they become feelings, desire. And then, and there's a plan conceived and a plan conceived. One of them will come along. That you will act on. That's sin. And when sin gets finished for you, you are spiritually dead. You're going to be lost. And you, you don't, you don't deal with, you don't repent when you're in the back seat of the car with your clothes off. Figuratively speaking. Oh God, don't let me sin. Your clothes are off. The other person's clothes off. You're in the back seat parked out of the way someplace. Oh, Lord, don't let me sin. You know what God does with that prayer? Nothing, because you don't mean it. Nothing. Because you don't mean it. Because if you didn't want to fall in sin, you'd have prayed before you ever got in the car. And you wouldn't be driving down that secret spot to talk. You know what the book says? It's good for a man not to touch a woman. That's still the the teaching of this church. Oh, that's so old-fashioned. No, no, that's as modern as you can get. Because that word touch means contact that lights a fire. That's the Greek. Contact that lights a fire. And if you're not married and you're having physical contact, holding hands, arms around one another, I'm sorry, you'll never convince me if you're doing that in public that that something else isn't going home behind the scenes. I do not believe it. Because... Unless both of you are dead, touching lights a fire. I am 69 years old. I've been married 46 plus years. You hear me right now. When I touch mama on the hand, on the shoulder, on the back, I don't feel Goosebumps. There's a little fire that starts there. Last night, our meeting was over, and, 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 and all the people that were connected to me, we fed them at the house. And right there in front of God and everybody, I'm sitting in my chair, and she comes over, puts her arm around me, lays her head over on my top of my head, and I'm going, 
Alice Faye, I'm thinking this to myself. What are you doing? Right here in front of God and everybody? Alice Faye. She don't like me to call her that. I call her that when it's, it's not fair. I'm not trying to be carnal here. I'm telling you the truth. And, and the Lord expects. He, he, he wants me to respond to her like, I may be old, I ain't dead. And when she touches me, I ride down the road, we hold hands. I am so consciously aware of my hand and hers and hers and mine. I'm consciously aware of that. Why? Because touch says something. Touch does something. You show me two people that are married and they don't care enough to even touch each other. I'm talking about appropriately. Just touch each other. You ever heard, heard people say, well, they can't keep their hands off each other. Well, you know what? Even if it's not done in a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, unseemly manner in public, I, huh? This is in public, this is public right here. Me sit here, her sitting there. You ain't never seen me reach over, take her hand. We're in church. I got my mind on God. Part of it. The other part's on the gift of God. Hallelujah. And you think I'm stupid enough to believe that you can be touching somebody you're not married to and it means nothing and there's nothing going on? Oh, you don't have to listen to that old fogey. Hey, when would you like your baby to be dedicated? Because one thing leads to another. Unless you're going to have it aborted so nobody knows. And pay the price of that for the rest of your life. Hey, let me tell you something. It's free choice to get rid of the baby but let me tell you the choice you don't have. You don't have the choice to get rid of the guilt and the grief that you're going to suffer the rest of your life, barring a miracle of God. And they don't tell you that part. They don't tell you the statistics of the number of women who have abortions who commit suicide because they can't ever get over what they did. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that part. God has used me, and I'm so thankful for it, to minister to a lot of people with shame. But the one thing that I have found is the absolute hardest thing to help a woman get past is an abortion. I've had far more success helping women who were raped or who were sexually abused get past that and get healed. Far higher percentage of success in helping that woman to believe that God loves her and he's forgiven her and she can forgive herself 
than those that have been able to do that who have taken the life of their own child because of selfishness. And if you did that and you've never let God heal you, he's able, but you have to choose to let him. Are you mature enough to discern the difference between the source of the good thoughts and the source of the bad ones so that you take hold of the good ones and nurture them so that you begin to come like them and that you reject the ones that your, your, your discernment, your senses that have been exercised to discern, recognize the source of the bad ones that you refuse to take ownership of. Your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. No, 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 the devil is walking around with a mane and a tail. Roar! No, 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 no. He's looking for people who have open their mind and spirit up without realizing it. And he roars lies into their brains, hoping that if he throws enough bait out there, they will take a hold of something and believe it and then walk in the results of that so that he can devour your joy, your peace, and ultimately your spiritual life. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 2, verse 25, please. You know what I'm doing here tonight? I'm obeying the scripture. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, I've been believing lies. Again, is it a lie? Look at the fruit. When you're believing truth, it brings peace. It brings joy. There's no fear. There's no frustration. There's no torment in that which is truth. And I don't care how much sense it makes to you. If it's producing torment, producing fear, producing restlessness, producing confusion, bringing oppression to your life, what you're believing is a lie. I don't care if you could find a thousand people that would agree with it. It's a lie because the fruit of it proves the source of it. The fruit of it proves the source of it. God does not torment us. And if you're tormented and oppressed by your thoughts, it's hopeless. Nothing's ever going to change. This isn't the way I, I think it ought to be, the way I thought it ought to be. This isn't that. This isn't that. And you're tormented and restless and you're paralyzed. I don't care how true and accurate you think that is. I don't care how much you take ownership of those thoughts. The fruit of the thought 
reveals the source of it. The fruit of the thought reveals the source of it. The fruit of the thought reveals the source of it. When you take ownership of a thought, begin to meditate on it. What impact does it have in your life? Does it increase your faith? Does it bring peace? Does it bring joy? Does it bring confidence in God? Does it bring a settledness to your life? Does it give you passion for Jesus and the souls? Does it give you motivation to pray and to be more like Jesus? Or does it paralyze you and divide you from God and divide you from people? Take your peace and take your joy. Frustrate you. The fruit of the thought reveals the source of it. And it's your choice to believe it. You're not a victim. If those things go through your head, the devil can't make you take ownership of it. You choose to take ownership of it because it serves your flesh. My God, you take ownership of the thought because it serves your flesh. It serves your will. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I don't care how right it seems. What's the fruit of you embracing the thought? My God, the Holy Ghost is trying to talk to somebody right now. Has it made you more spiritual? Has it made you more peace at peace with the will of God? Has it, has it increased your motivation to fellowship with Jesus? Be more like Him. Be more involved with what He's wanting to do. His kingdom, His plan, His purpose in the earth. Has it done those things for you? Does it cause you want to pray? Does it give you energy? Are you energized by those thoughts? Yes, Lord. I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. Yes, Lord. Are your thoughts sapping your energy, making you tired all the time? Stealing your joy, stealing your peace. The fruit of the thought reveals the source of it. The fruit of the thought reveals the source of it. And if you're embracing it, you're a captive of it. Meekness instructed those that oppose themselves if, per, if God peradventure will grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. How? Next verse. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. What is the snare of the devil? A snare. A snare. I'm not a big hunter. But a snare is a disguised trap. A snare doesn't kill you. 
You step in it. You didn't know it was there. It gets a hold of you. You can't get away from it. Animals in their desperation have gnawed their, their foot off because they're trapped and their, their desire to survive is so great that they'd actually physically gnaw their foot off to get free from the trap. A trap is disguised. A snare is a disguised trap. It doesn't kill you. It just holds you. Gets a hold of you. Hangs on to you. You can't get loose from it. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive at him. By him at his will. How does that happen? He just puts the thought out there. And you latch on to it. And he goes, good job. I saw a picture. I didn't pay any close attention to it, but I saw it on, on, uh, I don't know if it was Facebook or just one of those things that come up on a page. Some kid had caught a 500 pound catfish on a rod and reel. This thing was huge. I mean, it was huge. Whatever the bait was, the kid was probably not even a fifth of that weight. I don't know how he did it. But whatever the bait was, here's this catfish that survived long enough to get to be 500 pounds. Had a picture of the thing. It was horrible looking. If that came up on the end of my line, Mr. Catfish, here's your, here's the rod, here's the reel, go enjoy yourself someplace. Cause I don't want you out of the water where I am. Want to know who was, you, you look at that and wonder, okay, who called who here? But, but that huge fish caught by a rotten reel, whatever the lure was, the lure, whatever the bait was, this gigantic fish took the bait and was laying there in this picture dead. Because it took the bait. This thought. Will you take a bite on that one? Nah, okay. How about this thought? Will you take this bait? How about this thought? Will you take this bait? How about this thought? Will you take this bait? Ah! So, now that you've swallowed the thought, let me set the hook. Oh, I didn't know there was a hook in that bait. Oh, yeah. And you can fight and fight and fight. But he's just going to reel you in. So he doesn't have me captured. (laughs) If he's got a hook set, because you swallowed the bait, it's only a matter of time unless somebody comes along and cuts the line. It's just a matter of time. You can fight and flop all you want. But it's just a matter of time. Just reeling you in. Just reeling you in. Just reeling you in. 
Second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3. Here, please. I'm trying to hurry along. I'm trying. I don't know how successfully, but I'm trying. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Next verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not human. They're not intellect. They're not flesh. They're not human ability. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What strongholds? Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that it... Okay. Every high thing that's jumping around on screen. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you don't capture your thoughts, your thoughts are going to capture you. If you don't capture your thoughts, your thoughts are going to capture you. If you don't capture your thoughts, your thoughts are going to capture you. I look, I'm stand here and, oh God, it, 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 when I was here all the time, it was easy to get so familiar from, with what I was feeling from some of you. It was, it was kind of easy to dismiss it till it got really bad. But in the will of God, this new lifestyle I've got, where I'm only here occasionally, and whether I'm sitting over here, standing over here, over there, or holding this microphone, I look at somebody and I go, Oh God, what's it going to take? Because some of you have God has tried to give a revelation uh, to you tonight, and you're sitting there with your spirit all closed up. I refuse to take responsibility for this. This isn't my fault. This is somebody else's fault. I love you. I don't know how long you're going to continue to sit here like that. Because... You're sitting there blaming everybody but the responsible party. How about these thoughts? Nobody loves me here. Nobody cares. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody's reaching out to me. Nobody's helping me. Oh, those are God's thoughts, aren't they? Yeah. Holy Ghost is saying all that stuff to you. Yeah. But your little poor victim mentality is entertaining all of that. You're not swallowing the hook. You swallowed the boat. What's that? What's that called? Noodling? Noodling. Noodling. Now these are the guys that the southern accent fits. Cause they're they're crazy because they get down in the old muddy river bottom where there's catfish. And noodling is you find the catfish, you stick your fist down its throat and pull him up.
how messed up is your life that you would consider that fun? It's like that story that some of you read about, and I did too, about that lady in Canada that escaped an attack by a grizzly bear with a, just a twenty-five caliber pistol. See, her and her boyfriend were out hiking in the woods, and this grizzly bear came after them. And all she had on her, he didn't have a weapon, and all she had on her was a twenty-five caliber pistol. But she escaped that attack because she shot her boyfriend in the knee. And he couldn't run. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was a true story. I really don't. I would assume it's not true because if you told that story and he died at the hands of the grizzly bear, it would seem like to me you'd be an accomplice. Hello. See, some of you precious people. I love you. You don't understand. I love you. And I've heard from God for you tonight. But you don't like what I'm saying. You don't like this. you got a problem. What I'm saying is book. What about what you're thinking? It ain't book. Well, how do I know that? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to read a little bit. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Next verse. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We, we, a lot of times we quit reading there. Next verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, what's the connection between verse 8 and verses 6 and 7? If I'm going to think right thoughts... I got to get the wrong thoughts out of my head. How do I do that? Peter said, 1 Peter 5 said, by casting my care. Paul said it the same thing this way. Don't have anxiety. Don't be full of care over anything. Don't have anxiety over anything. How do I get rid of my anxiety? By, by making all of my requests known unto God until I give all of that stuff that's bothering me to God and then peace comes. If you quit praying till before peace comes, you haven't given it to God. Well, I prayed it didn't work. That's because you quit too soon. If you will pray until peace comes, 
then your mind and spirit will be clear enough and you can discern again. And then, and then, you can think right things that produce produces good things in and through your life. Instead of all this torment you're going through and frustration and 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 depression and weariness and lack of motivation and what's the use? Nothing's going to change stuff. And you know something? The Savior's done all he can till you decide you don't want to be bound by these thoughts. Because if you don't make that decision... There's not a thing he can do. You see, as a born-again child of God, the adversary has absolutely no authority in your life. But when you believe his lie, you give him permission to come against you, to torment you. To capture you. Otherwise, we would just all be a bunch of helpless victims with a devil that's bigger than our God. But our God is infinite. And the devil is finite. And he has no power and authority over you except that which you give him. I never gave him permission. When you believe his lie, when you take ownership of the stuff going through your head, you just gave him permission. Oh, Jesus. Last verse. 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us the spirit of fear. Greek word there is timidity. It's the only place in the New Testament where that Greek word is found. God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because of the grammatical rules of English and Greek, there's three words that aren't there because they would be redundant. But I will read the verse with those in there for emphasis sake. God has not given us the spirit of fear. The source of the fear or timidity is a spirit. But the spirit of power and the spirit of love and the spirit of a saved mind, a mind that thinks and saved thoughts, resulting you having saved feelings. The root word of the root word translated sound mind. The verb is sober. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary goes around like a roaring lion, right? Same words, all the same family words. But the root word has two words a part of it. The first is the Greek word S-O-Z-O, which can be translated save, rescue, deliver, heal, make whole, depending on the context. The second word is not talking about the mind at all. It's talking about this area where your feelings are. 
And so therefore, saved thoughts produced saved feelings. And if you don't feel saved, the root cause is you're not thinking saved thoughts. And God's not telling you to change it. He's telling you to change which spirit you're listening to. Because the non-saved, unsaved thoughts are coming from a spirit of timidity. But the saved thoughts are coming from the spirit of God. And saved thoughts coming from God's spirit produce saved feelings. In other words, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Because condemnation is the feeling people have who have been listening to the wrong thoughts. And if your heart condemns you not, you can ask what you will and the Lord will do it. But if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. So if you have condemned feelings... Those are unsaved feelings. The source is unsaved thoughts that you have not discerned, acknowledged, recognized the source of them. And you believe them. And because you now not only are thinking in your head, but you're feeling in your heart as a man thinketh in this contest Talk context, feelings that are a result of the way he's thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You want to know why you're struggling spiritually? You know why you're struggling with prayer? You want to know why you're struggling with commitment? None of those things are the issue. They're all, they're all symptoms because you're listening to the voice of fear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If I listen to what God says, I'll have faith. But fear is faith in what the devil says. He threatens, you believe it, that produces fear. If you have fear, it's proof that you're listening to the adversary and not God. Does that make you a bad person? No, it makes you a human being who hasn't yet discerned the difference. But if you're ever going to have victory and walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, you're going to have to discern the difference between good thoughts and evil thoughts and stop taking ownership of the evil. Father, I have obeyed you tonight. I have spoken what you've given me to say. I have not added one word to it. I have not left one word out of it. I have obeyed you. I submit this word to each and every one of us because I know that you have loved us enough to do your best to help us tonight if we will allow you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bind the spirit of drunkenness that's upon some of your people. 
who have believed the lie until they became under the influence of the voice of the wrong spirit. I command that drunkenness to loose their minds and spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I command you to be loosed. I command you to be free in Jesus' name. I loose the spirit of power. I loose the spirit of love. And I loose the spirit of a saved mind that thinks saved thoughts that have come to them through the spirit of the Lord that they can have a secure feeling of salvation as a product of their faith. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind the spirit of condemnation, the spirit of fear, the spirit of doubt, the spirit of frustration. I command you to loose the minds, hearts, spirits, souls, lives of the people of God. I loose the spirit of grace. I loose the spirit of mercy. I loose the spirit of peace upon every individual who has heard and will hear this message. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, give us your grace to receive this word, Father. Give us your grace in Jesus' name. We receive the grace to receive this word in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus be free. In the name of Jesus be free. Come on, let him go. Let him go. Jesus, Jesus, let me think about what's pure. Let me think about what's true. Let me think thoughts that produce right things in my life. In the name of Jesus, I reject every thought that has produced these negative things in me, Jesus, that proves they didn't come from you. They're not of you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, come on, the Lord's doing something right now. Do you want it? You want to leave here bound, still a captive? Or you want to leave here loosed, free? In the name of Jesus, I loose the spirit of soberness. That you might be free from your adversary, the devil and his influence. I loose the spirit of grace to bring every thought into the captivity to Christ. That it might be obedient to Christ. That Christ might be pleased by your thoughts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I don't care how right you think your thoughts are. The proof of the source of those thoughts and their truthfulness in the sight of God. It's the fruit those thoughts are producing in your life. Because God's thoughts 
convince you that you're he's in control and that you can trust him and you're not tormented by those thoughts and you're not depressed by those thoughts and you're not held captive by those thoughts you're not bound by those thoughts God's word sets you free it produces life his thoughts produce life peace joy righteousness But thoughts that are not of God produce death. They produce joyless living, frustrated lives, depressed people, people that have no motivation to seek God. People that have to force themselves to come to church. Come on. Holy Ghost doing something here right now. Another few moments. I know it's after 9 o'clock. But your soul's at stake. Surely you can spare another moment or two. Come on. And I don't mean just putting in your time so nobody wonders what's wrong with you because you left early. I'm talking about hearing and receiving the word of God that's trying to deliver you and produce life in you. Come on. Don't fuss with God and me because this wasn't milk. Receive this strong meat and let God deliver you. Let God help you. He loves you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to be bound. He doesn't want you to be captive. He died to set you free. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There's something happening in this place right now, folks. Come on. Come on. I beg you for your sake. Come on. Come on. Some of you disconnected a while ago. It's time to reconnect and let the Lord help you. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Are your thoughts moving you forward in God? Are your thoughts causing you to go backwards in God? What's, what are your thoughts causing you to do? What kind of, what kind of fruit is in your thoughts? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, 
in the name of Jesus. The mind is the battleground of the soul. Who's winning the war on that battleground? Who's winning the war on that battleground? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.